power to wipe out the entire human race. If we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. Welcome back, everybody, to the uh, formerly We Want More podcast. I haven't thought of a new name for this because I don't know if we'll really need one. We'll figure this out. But this is the announcement episode for our next show called, or wait, our next story that we're covering. Called a thing. Yes, our next story that we're covering called Metropolitan Man by Alexander Wales. Um, you can find his stuff at alexanderwales.com. And if you're unfamiliar with his name, that's surprising. If you if uh, you listen to this, you're probably in enough circles where you've heard it, heard him around. He was a uh, large figure on the HBMR subreddit. Probably still is around there, but that place is quiet now. And is a large figure now on the r slash rational subreddit, which is the subreddit dedicated to rational fiction, which basically is the uh, genre spinoff of methods of rationality. Um, though there are two distinct differences, uh, like or uh, two mostly distinct categories. There's like rational fiction and then rationalist fiction. Um, I think is this been always sort of considered like the hi everybody. It's Brian Deacon. Hey Brian. Uh, <laughs> is HPMR sort of considered like the original text, like the proto ratfic? Yeah, I think so. Um, like other other things, when it came time to like decide, hey, I want to write more fiction like this, and then trying to decide what like this meant, um, it's definitely possible to like put some other things in that category. Um, so, like, I think the the distinction between rational and rationalist fiction is often hazy, but worth making. Like. Rationalist fiction is more about um, like focuses on the character's thinking uh, and their attempts to like improve the reasoning abilities often in a way that is like out loud to the reader. So like, you know, like in Harry would say, well, I remember the study about the planning fallacy or something. Um, you know, if, if you can read the book and pick up the techniques and like level up your own thinking, uh, that's I think closer to what rationalist fiction is. Rational fiction is um, really just like, intelligent characters solving problems through you know a creative application of their knowledge and resources like their their goals and motivations are clear and have reasons um there's there's often like an intellectual playoff you know or or payoff i mean where like it something depends on the characters not being idiots the whole time and that's not to say that like every character and every other piece of fiction is an idiot but like there's uh you know the, the, the very common trope of like the idiot ball where you know, character will act uncharacteristically stupid just to move the plot forward for a dramatic moment or something. Like those so it's like rational figures, like it's not, it's just sort of like being rationalist, but not trying to like do that as a philosophy or communicate it. Is that? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it doesn't, I, I'm not even, I wouldn't even say you have to be rationalist. Like your characters have to be rationalist to be rational fiction. Like I, I really think the Martian counts as rational fiction. Um, like he's, He's not sitting there thinking about, uh, you know, planning fallacy and heuristics and biases or anything like that. But he's thinking, okay, here's my situation. Here are my resources and here are my goals. What can I do? And his answers are all awesome. Like he's, you know, if, if like an example of idiot ball would be if at some point he was pissed and just like, you know, fashioned a machete and started hacking away at his uh, whatever Mars base camp thing in a fit of rage, right? Like, that that's the kind of thing that would not make sense for Mark Watney to do, and thus we don't see him do it. Um, but but I don't think that uh, Andy Weir was thinking in terms of rationality when he wrote the book. Yeah, so, he was just he was writing a scientist. So right, he was writing he was writing a scientist, and 
he was writing a scientist in a way that like, uh, like I think he imagined, okay, if I was actually there and I had the knowledge that Mark Watney has, what would I do? Like a lot of, I think a lot of, of characters aren't written that way. They're written as like plot movers. Um, and so which of these do you think Metropolitan Man is? A uh, little column A, little column B. It's much less of a like rationalist heavy in the sense that like, I mean, I think Lex once in a while. So since uh, Christmas, I listened to the entire story again. And uh, like a couple of times Lex will say planning fa- or, you know, something along the lines of planning fallacy or, or, you know, scope neglect or something like that, you know, cognitive science words, but he doesn't like cite studies. He doesn't, uh, um, he certainly doesn't explain to other characters like uh, that sort of stuff. Um, That's something like less of like turning to the camera and talking at us. Um, yeah. Cause that was sort of like, like you kind of had like Harry kind of has, if Yudkowsky wants to get those ideas across, there's kind of a level that you can't avoid that. Right. Um, unless, unless Harry's like in dialogue with another character and explaining it to them, really, he's just turning to the camera and explaining it to us. Yeah. Well, actually, and usually it was that, but it still was like, Oh yeah, you're not, it's sort of like, you know, how a uh, brother and sister in a movie will say, remember how we were growing up and now this long description of this thing we used to do that we both know exactly what we're talking about, but the audience doesn't. Yes. Yes. Remember how you always used to call me this? It's like, yeah, why would you ask well, me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you testing to see if I'm an imposter? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's what what I like. So what I love about uh, Alex, I've only read uh three or four of Alexander Wales' stories and all the short ones. Um, I haven't read Worth a Candle or, um, oh, I don't have the website up and I can't think of the name of it. Grim Warden, I think is the other one that was really long. Um, but he wrote, I was I was actually thinking of doing an episode on this because I, I came across it. There's a podcast called Rattlefic and it very infrequently, and I think stopped a couple of years ago, just did like a handful of short story readings of rational fiction. Um, it has a couple of the masculine mongoose episodes that we talked about with Yudkowsky, that like short story that he wrote in little bits. Um, but it had uh, the five or six chapter uh, Alexander Wales story, The Last Christmas. And I just, I was just looking through my podcast for something to listen to. And I was like, you know, I haven't opened to this one ever, and I've never actually listened to it before, The Rattlefic. And I was like, wait, is this The Last Christmas? Hey, it's, it's like December 23rd. Let's listen to this. And <laughs> it's, uh, I, I I thought about doing an episode, but there's not really, I think, a ton to say about it other than it was like delightfully horrifying and super enjoyable to read. Um, I definitely recommend it, especially, you know, if, maybe, maybe we could do a, a bonus episode on it or something, but um, I didn't want to like try and coordinate something over the winter holidays. So, uh, yeah. So it's, it's just it's, like one short story. Yeah, it, it's just one short story, but like it's, I, I can't even get into describing it without getting stoked. Like, uh, I mean... In, in a sentence, so Santa comes to this guy and says, hey, you're going to be the new Santa now. And I'm going to, I'm done being Santa. See ya. And the guy gets to the North Pole. And in order to make Christmas work, a lot of weird shit has to be happening. Tons of elves, you know, time dilation at the <laughs> North Pole, tons of magic. And it's all, uh, it's all very thoughtful. And like I said, properly horrifying for how how nasty things get um did you ever read that uh there was it was just like one of those little things posted on the internet it was like a short description of like oh this is how all of the physics would have to work for santa to um you know do all of christmas in one night 
Oh yeah, I'd be traveling at like Mach five and yeah. All that. All that I um, what was it? oh yeah, I used to work with Joel Potishman was one of the two guys that wrote that. I used to work with him. I thought that was funny because I like met the guy years later. We we worked together. He's like, yeah, I wrote that thing. I'm like, you wrote that? I remember that. It was like from the '90s or something. He and I are about the same age. Uh, he wrote it like back in college. That's awesome. He did like he worked out all the math and then, like his his buddy did, like did all the like the actual writing of it. Or I think they both did a little bit, but it was a weird. Little, like, oh, you're in some weird way, sort of like famous, at least in my head. <laughs> no, I, I think that, you know, it, it's, it's fun when things like that happen. Um, there was a, a moment like that on a Sam Harris's podcast where he was interviewing Eliezer Yudkowsky or like dial, you know, talking with, it's not so much of like an interview, ask questions back and forth, but they're talking about like the paperclip maximizer, which might be a thought experiment you've heard of with rogue AI Sounds or something. Familiar. And so he's like, and Harris is like, you know, I think this might've been Bostrom. I'm not sure. And Yudkowsky's like, as far as I know, it's me who came up with that. (laughs) So like, you know, sometimes things just kind of seep out and, you know, it doesn't really matter where they came from, but it's, it's fun when you bump into that person. Um, So yeah, I think that's, that's another element of rational fiction that rational and, or I think all, hmm, this probably makes sense. I think all rationalist fiction is rational fiction, but not all rational fiction is rationalist. Um, that makes sense. So, like, a component of both is like thoughtful world building. Like, the fictional world follows known, consistent rules, and like, as a consequence of a rational background, characters exploring it or building realistic social structures. So, like, it's it's not. It wouldn't be. I mean, I this actually might be helpful because I don't know that much of background Superman knowledge other than having seen Man of Steel. Um, <laughs> so, like, I I don't know if everybody in uh, the <laughs> well yeah uh, and you and i are both marvel bigots so yeah I'm, I'm pretty like like layman's level of knowledge about superman which i think is appropriate i don't think there's that much to know and i learned something really cool um so after enos did the audiobook for metropolitan man he did an interview with alexander wales which is spoilery so we'll we'll skip that but if you are interested in like the in learning more about the genre of rational fiction um episode 63 i want to say of the bayesian conspiracy was on rational fiction we had uh daystar eld and alexander wales um talking about the genre and it was a lot of fun and it was non-spoilery for these stories so um, what is there any like rational fiction that's not also fan fiction because what had me thinking that was like even a story about santa claus is on some level still a fanfic just not specific to the one but you're sort of like you know doing a riff off of some story that everybody else already knows I wonder, that would be way harder to pull off somebody just like deciding to write some rationalist fiction that's completely brand and like isn't, you know, a spin-off of an already known like where all the reader ha- all readers have to come at it fresh without any preconceptions. That would be a much harder trick to pull off. Yeah, I I strongly suspect they are. Like I said, I haven't read Grim Warden or Worth the Candle, and I don't know their premises. Those are two of uh, Alexander Wales' long stories, and I don't know if they're fan fictions. Um they might be wholly original. Like some people would call uh, Worm, uh, Wild Bo's story, rational fiction. Um, like it's it's debatable. He says it's not. And uh, like the characters, I mean, as far as like having, in, you know, like focused goals and creatively finding ways to get there, checks those boxes. Um, so like, I think that. Uh, Does Wild Bo identify as a rationalist? No. Mm-hmm. Um he got a huge bump when Yudkowsky plugged his book, uh, Worm, like during a an author's note of uh, we want more of a method of rationality. But no, he he, uh, I don't think was aware of the 
the community when he started the book. And I don't think he identifies that way now. Mm. Um, I think that, uh, like you, his, his, his first exposures to rationalists were like six nerds on the internet who gave him a hard time. So he's, he's been <laughs> away from the group. was my first, actually, I think literally, uh, not knowing that there was, you know, some, uh, you know, crystallized concept of rationalism or anything, but I think, um, Alexander Scott was, I do remember reading like a number of things that probably just, you know, bumped into coincidentally because of overlapping Venn diagrams. Oh yeah. Scott Alexander. Um, oh yeah. Alexander Scott. Yeah. He, he's, um, he's, he's the, like one of the largest prominent writers in, in the rational sphere. Yeah. So I remember reading a number of things by him, that whole thing about like the gray party or like red, blue versus gray. I think that's the one that sticks out. Yeah, that one and like Meditations on Moloch, I think if I had to recommend a couple of Scott Alexander posts, I think Meditations on Moloch is like, it's basically explaining like the coordination problem of humanity, uh, where you can get a a nasty system without nasty people in it. And Mm. it's it's not really anybody's fault. It's just like, this is just how, uh, you know, even not selfish, but, you know, in, you know, eh, somewhat selfishly motivated people operate, but like not even like rudely selfish, just like self-interested. Um, yeah. There was a cool like pop science-y kind of book called Emergence that came out uh, like 10 or 15 years ago now. Uh, it was a lot of those same ideas. Nice. Um, yeah, but it just sort of like things that seem intelligent can sort of arise out of, you know, no coordinated effort. But- yeah, th- this is the, op- like this is the opposite. Pollock is the, uh, I think it's from a Ginsburg poem. Um, it, it's the, the, the destructive, you know, yeah, it was kind of both. It was sort of like, Oh, this is destructive in a way that random couldn't account for. <laughs> like it, it required a bit of intelligence to be this destructive. Um, yeah. This, this is more like why it's hard to get people to cooperate out of, out of a, a way that requires sacrifice for everybody when not making that sacrifice costs, you know, it's kind of like uh, a tragedy of the commons. I think they call that. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, like like failing to recycle or something, right? Like it it doesn't. You know, me throwing a a a, a can into the trash doesn't really. I mean, it does literally add to trash in a landfill, but like it's such a drop in the ocean that it doesn't matter. But like if everybody thinks that way, then all the trash ends up in landfills, right? So um, it's it's one of those things. Imagine then too, if it costs money to recycle, then it's like, well, I don't want to pay twenty bucks to recycle. So anyway. Um, I was trying to think of uh, another thing to mention about, uh, oh yeah, about like other stories being rational fiction. Um, like I said, I would co-opt uh, The Martian for sure. Um, but yeah, I do want to read Scott Alexander's longer stories. And I was going to this year and then I started doing these podcasts. So I, it will happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess we were talking about uh, the our background knowledge as a Superman. Is yours basically Man of Steel plus a couple of the earlier movies or... Oh, not actually. I'm not even sure if I've seen Man of Steel. Mine, mine would be oh, okay. Yeah, see, this will uh, this will show the generation gap. Or we're, we're oh, like a, let we're me, like me three quarter generation gap. Let me let me have one quick thing. Is that during that's what I, I forgot I was going to mention during the uh, the interview that Inyash did with him about this story, not the one that we did on the Bayesian conspiracy about rational fiction in general. He asked him, or like it, it came up that DC is is much less of like it's much less like Marvel, where Marvel has like you know, other than like the distinct versions, but like really long running stories. Um, DC has people who are like, Hey, you know what? What if Superman uh, landed in Russia instead of the U S um, you know, what if this, and like, those are all just things that people can bring to the table. 
And so it's and those like, and DC does those, those aren't like a fan fiction thing. Yeah. Red, I red, I remember those. Yeah. Like a red, yes, yeah, I remember those. red sun is, uh, they actually made an animated movie about it, uh, last year, the year before. And it's been a, it was a comic book years ago. Um, so like it, th- those things, I think they're all kind of canonical. I'm not really sure what canon means in DC, but yeah. Yeah. All right, sorry. Have more, they have more canons. Well, no, my, so my first, my first exposure to Superman is before I'd even read any comic books. It was probably before I was even reading on any kind of regular basis as a really young kid is the OG George Reeves, 1950. Uh, look over the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. Um, that one on KTLA in Los Angeles on Saturday mornings. Um, and that was really, really bad. But I do remember the, uh, what was the 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 catchphrase for uh, what's the the uh, the J Jonah Jameson of the Superman world? Uh, okay. He's the newspaper. No, 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 no. The newspaper editor. Oh, uh, Perry. Uh, Perry. That's right. Like I was, I kind of a major character on the TV show, and he, he had a uh, his catchphrase was "Great Caesar's Ghost." That's funny. And then they had to have an episode where they actually had Great Caesar's Ghost on the show. (laughs) Yes, that was bad. But no, probably like most like my headspace is probably mostly the Christopher Reeves Superman is probably most of my. Well, that and like the really, you know, shitty Hanna-Barbera Super Friends garbage. Um, Yeah. So that's probably, yeah. uh, Like the new stuff definitely like fits in my head is like the, oh, you guys are trying to like catch on. Like my brain categorizes them as the trying to cash in on the real Superman. I'm not even sure what real means, but they're definitely the, they feel like the reboot. Um, and I guess probably as a factor of my uh, Marvel bigotry, also like the kind of low rent reboot. Um, it's all been pretty hit and miss for them with the exception of like wonder woman and not the most recent one. I've been pretty disappointed by all the DC movies. Yeah. The second one, just as a brief digression, I walked away from the movie thinking like, or rather I watched it at home, but I'm like, once it was over, it's like, I wish it was better. That was my first thought. Like it was leading up great. And like all, all the, you know, nuance aside, I just like towards like the, the climactic finish, like I just wasn't invested. I, I, I was invested before that <coughs> lost my investment. And like, it's not like it did anything. It just was like, I just read some review, like maybe even earlier that day or the day before, uh, and then I watched it on TV, on streaming. Um, somebody called it hot garbage. And as I was watching it, that phrase kept, because it was, I mean, it was like, even if I wasn't primed for that, it was, it was bad enough as I was watching it. I'm like, oh, this is just not good. And then that phrase, I'm like, yeah, that's, I, I, I could be, I can understand that phrase, hot garbage. Yeah, it was just a mess. It was, mm, yeah. They used up their whole budget for like the kind of cool synth 80s vibe on the poster. The whole movie was in like grayscale. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. It was, so, I mean that that was also a bummer. But you know there were yeah, parts that really liked. It wasn't as like you know I, I I watch people give reviews of it that were like this was the worst blah, blah, blah. and I was like it was not the worst. I've seen worse, but I wish it was better. Like it was it was good enough that I was like ah oh, I'm disappointed. You could have done better than this. Not like oh yeah that was hot garbage. Um, so yeah the uh, I mean as long as we're railing on DC, like the movies were, were obviously like, Oh my God, Marvel's doing great. We should try and do this for ours. And they tried just to rush straight to the big, you know, yeah. Uh, ones. And you can't do the Avengers without having done Captain America, Iron Man and Thor all independently. Like you need the buildup to build up to that climax. And instead for them, justice league was like their second movie. And it was terrible. I guess their third, if man of steel counts as their first, but like, yeah, I don't like that. that's the big problem. Like in my, the snarky shit I say is that like, 
you know, all DC stuff sucks. Um, and then there's the Alan Moore exception that, well, the stuff Alan Moore does doesn't suck. So therefore it's not DC. Um, <laughs> no true like, <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Uh, cause like all the, like the dark Knight stuff, um, and, you know, even from like that OG Jack Nicholson one, but that was, you know, riffing off the vibe that Alan Moore brought to it. Like, but that's sort of like, for me, like, that's the thing that Dark Knight is similar to Marvel and that the rest of them aren't is that they made this like way more complicated background character. Cause, and I guess if I was like more of an involved nerd, there's probably, they probably added on all these, you know, complex backstories to these guys. But, you know, on the surface, they're all very kind of two dimensional. Yeah, and and like and Dark Knight, they started. Sure. They started I'm sure they've added more texture to them, but they started very two dimensional. Was that uh, the stuff like those guys were born? Well, like you know, Superman is a very like, especially like because from the era he was born in, he was just like literally, you know, pure goodness and oh yeah, sort of kind of from a planet that got destroyed. But I think even like the the you know more texture to that story of Krypton and stuff didn't come till later. It was very, oh, I thought like, you were saying that they made the movies add more character. And I'm like, Oh, not really. Oh, no, um, no, I'm saying, no, even like at the DC thing, I'm like, I'm sure like, especially because, you know, comic book nerds also want all these things. I'm sure they've made all these characters way more, but they all seem to have, they're like big picture, you know, your 30,000 foot view of these characters is, is a lot more like simple. Yeah. And I think that's something to do with how they structure the the comics is that like, there, and this is me just trying to imagine from what I heard Alexander Wales say, which was that um, like they they can reimagine you know the Dark Knight Batman, and like that's just a new Batman. It's it's not like they had to invent something that happened to the Batman from the 1980s to turn him into the Dark Knight. It's just they like, hey, you know what? Let's do a new Batman. And Dark Knight was awesome. So yeah. Uh, anyway, so the yeah, that's true. I guess that's equally true because like. It- Bat, the original Batman was as two dimensional as the original Superman, and they just sort of, you know, we just added on. We're like, okay, let's just make that cooler, right? So, yeah, the yeah. um, so I'm trying to think of like the ways to um, like prime for this story. So, like in in my mind, like the story has has two main points of departure from what I would like in my head think of like Superman canon, which is basically Man of Steel and adjacent things. Um, like one, Lex Luthor isn't an idiot, which isn't to say he's a you know colossal genius and we should all want to be like Lex Luthor, but he's not like uh I, I mean, I don't I don't know a you know, other than the uh the one played by Jesse Eisenberg. I haven't seen a movie with, with I haven't even Luthor seen it. Gene so. Hackman is my Lex Luthor. Okay, I'll have yeah, to and, and the shitty bald cartoon from Super Friends. Right. I'll have to see some some other Bat Supermans to get an idea of what Lex is usually like. But in general, I think that if you're trying for ten years to take down the good guy and fail, you suck. So, um, like this this story takes place over the course of maybe a little under a year, um, give, give or take a few months, maybe. Um, and like what I like, Lex isn't. Uh, I, I I just I think he's. Um, I don't if if you put yourself in the situation of Batman from Dawn of Justice, where he's like, okay, look, if there's a 1% chance that this, that Superman could go AWOL, like we, we have to be prepared for that. Um, so what, what does that actually mean you do? Like, that's what this Lex Luthor it's from the suicide squad. Right. <laughs> so like that, that, that's, that's where Lex comes in for me is like, okay, well, if I was Lex and I had his resources and I was like, spooked at the idea of a bad superman um what would i do i would do a lot of the things that lex does um that's what i like about it um the other main thing that i like a lot is that 
and again, my my Superman exposure is pretty light, but my understanding is that Lois Lane is largely like not a character. Um, she's like arm candy, or you know, the 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 female interest for the alien. Well, as far as as far as like having any depth to the character, yeah, that's been my right. This character, this Lois Lane, has tons of agency and depth. Um, like she's actually a character, and I think it's awesome. Um, I wonder if that. I wonder how much of my like my vibe around Superman is by the fact that like the first Superman for me was that really awful 1950s show, and the Lois Lane in that show was exactly the same thing. But that's just because she was a female character in a movie, you know, in you know film or TV from the 1950s. They were all like that. Um, so to be that's like oh well yeah that's what Lois Lane is is this throwaway character that is doing nothing for you know women in fiction. <laughs> I guess imagine Lois Lane getting the uh, the Hermione Granger treatment. Yeah, um, it it I think it works out really well, and it's not Hermione Granger. She's not you know the the Mary Sue that uh, Yudkowsky made Hermione Granger in. Which note I've usually heard Mary Sue used pejoratively. Um, I, I I I don't think I think Hermione if she if she is she checks all the boxes that he says she checked, but I think she's delightful. I think well, uh, I think and we're talking about uh, when we got to have him on the show that. Um, that I think what my take from what he meant from that was that he wrote her as the Mary Sue. And then like, he liked the phrase subvert the trope that, that he wrote her, he put her in all the positions and roles and even the, you know, abilities of being Mary Sue like, and then made her not be that. Yeah. Good point. He's all about usurping tropes. Yeah. And that's what I thought he meant when he said that. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I think I, 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 I think you're right. Um, This Lois Lane is just more of like, okay, what if Lois Lane was actually a person? And, and like <laughs> not just a not just a mere person, but a smart person who had you know agency and goals. Um, so that, that those are the two main points of departure. Like there there isn't like uh and that it, like that's the whole setup. There's you know there's not like this secret underpinning like there is with methods of rationality where it's you know kind of a secret where um you know Harry is part Voldemort the whole time, right? Um, th- so like. On that vein, there are a few ways the story isn't like with of rationality. Like there, there isn't really an element of mystery for us to try and solve through like either subtle or colossal foreshadowing. Um, so we're not we're not as obsessed with spoilers this time around. I mean, it would still be really fun for you to not know how the story ends. Um, just because what I want to do as we go through it. Oh, it's still on, so we'll see. Yeah. So like, I mean, the other thing too is we're gonna have less time for spoilers and all that, just because it's a shorter story. Um, it's like. I, I would be okay, yeah, and, a, and a big element of, of HPMOR was like, Oh, this is a puzzle to solve. Right. Or like this is a mystery to be solved. This isn't that because we already know about Superman. We already know about Clark Kent. Cause just cause we're coming into it. Right. Um, so like for us, it, we, there's, there's not this element of like, Oh no, I changed the whole thing. So I could make it a, a brand new thing. This is more just like, let's, let's just, like tweak the characters and run Superman this way. But like, I, I remember I was talking to somebody trying to get them to read this and they're like, no, I don't want to mess with my boy soups. And it's like, actually no Superman has played straight through like the, basically the entire thing. Like he, he's played basically straight through the entire story. Like he's, he's the Superman I would imagine from the, from the movies. Like, Oh, so they haven't like, because that was like Harry and HPMOR is a radically different person. Right. From the, from the original Harry. So this is basically like a, the same. Although, like, I would like, I would be hard pressed to describe like, what is Clark Kent like? Oh, what he's like is, you know, a piece of white bread with mayonnaise. Like, <laughs> I think that, uh, like, again, this helps because I don't have a huge thing to like, you know, lexicon to, to compare it to. But, um, 
I think that most characters are basically the same. They're just like changed a bit. They're not radically different. Like, the, like a lot of Meth- methods characters were. So like, I, I think that that, that concern of like, no, I don't want it to mess with my characters. Like, no, the characters are all like, they're just, they're, they're the same, but maybe tweaked a bit. Like I said, well, if, I guess if what I was, like, say, in my fun, this would just be him constantly yelling about how Superman's getting in the way of my bank robberies or whatever he's doing. Yeah. Right. Uh, like, well, we guess, remember- like, am I like, and I guess now that I'm thinking about it, like Lex Luthor almost is like the prototype, at least in my brain for the like arch villain. Um, and not, especially in that sort of like completely, you know, simplistic way of like, you know, world domination with just because, well, that's what one does is dominate the world. Um, and that like, which in a way can sort of make it kind of almost like a Greek morality play or something where you, you're like not even trying to explain that stuff. It's just like, he's there as a placeholder for the opposition, um, but yeah, like, so if, if trying to make kind of a, you know, smarter, you know, less caricature-ish Lex Luthor in this is that we come up for like, well, why are you trying to conquer the world? Or is he trying to like, what, it, is there a reason he's uh, doing what he does rather than just, well, cause we need the bad guy in the movie. I think that might be, if it's not in the bullet points of the r slash rational sidebar, it, it could be that people aren't doing things just to do them. Um, certainly not like the main characters. So like if Lex Luthor is trying to take over the world, it's not because world domination, like that's not his reason, right? If, if he wants to take over the world, it's for some reason um, and some reason that makes sense to him. Right. Uh, and that's not even to say whether or not Lex is trying to take over the world. It's just like it, whatever the, whatever people are doing, it's for actual reasons. And like, so you can put yourself in their head sufficiently to where you say, okay, yeah, I wouldn't do that if I were me, but if I were Lex, okay, yeah, that's that's more or less what I would do. And so I think that's the way to go through this story is like, largely it's from Lex Luthor's point of view. Um, not entirely. But oh yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. So, so, so we're not like just in Clark's head the whole time? No. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, so this this is, uh, I mean, it's not really, this isn't a spoiler. It's largely, I think we get, we get a handful of small POVs, but I'd say 80% of the text is Lex Luthor and Lois Lane. Um, and of that, it's probably... 65% Luther and uh, the other 15% is Lois. I'm lost track of my numbers, but um, yeah. And the, other, and the other 40% is, yeah. The other, the other 20% is going to be small characters. And that's probably too high of a number to give to the small characters. Um, so it's, it's just a lot of fun. Like you think about, uh, you know, like I, I think don't, don't go through this thinking of like, well, you know, I wouldn't think that about Superman because I know that, well, cause you don't know anything about Superman. He just showed up and it's 1932 or whatever. Right. Like we, we don't know anything other than like, Oh my God, this guy showed up and he can, uh, he can k- take a bullet to the face and fly. Like this is wild. So, you know, from Lex's point of view, he's the heroic underdog who asks, Well, first off, there's a guy who's like, hey, what if Superman had decided to rip the roof off of the Oval Office and fly away with the president? Who would have stopped him? Oh, that sounds like it's going to be a tough question to answer. Nope, super easy. Barely an inconvenience, actually. Oh, really? (laughs) That's Lex's perspective. Um, The, like... It, it, it's not like we have to like get ourselves into knots to think about what it's like to think from his perspective. Like it's, it's a completely reasonable way to think. And to the, to the extent that it's not like if, if he, if there are failures of reason involved, they become apparent later on. Um, now don't tell me anything if it spoils anything, but in this world is Superman, the first and only super powered being in the world. Yes. 
Because that's sort of like, and that and that was true in the original Superman too. But <clears throat> once you know, comics introduced you know, like when you start adding multiple you know super people, uh, it starts to change the whole dynamic of like how does the world see the super people and how do they view each other? Um, and then we start getting into all of like the you know game theory mechanics of you know why Hawkeye is a shitty Avenger. <laughs> um, but yeah, it like sort of changes the whole story dynamic between like you are the one and only thing humanity has to stare at and freak out about versus, you know, now you know, putting more pieces on the chessboard. Yeah. He, he's the, the first appearance of anything like this. And so like the reaction from the world is going to be, I think exactly more or less what you would expect, right? Like, right. holy shit, this is amazing. And, uh, I would see what I, what I would actually, and that's what it was in the comic. What I would actually expect would be nukes, <clears throat> like we would freak the fuck out. Luckily, this takes place in nineteen thirty something. Yeah. I think it's, at some point it says a couple decades after the first like uh, mm-hmm. heavier than aircraft flight or heavier than uh, um, heavier than air flying vehicle, whatever. Yeah. A couple couple decades after the Wright brothers, so um, it, it takes place pre nukes. But yeah, like that exactly. So a lot of people on the ground would be like, Oh my God, I'm sure glad that this, this beacon of and symbol of good is here stopping the bad guys. Yeah. But you are already primed to think like, Lex Luthor. <laughs> like, shit. Right. Yeah. And there'd also be people like worshiping him, worshiping him as Jesus. And you get the whole nine yards. You, you, I think you're going to really like this story. <laughs> uh, so like, as as we go into it, I think go through it thinking about like, rather than trying to like look for clues and solve puzzles, if if it, if I could give an advice for like headspace to get into, just put yourself in the heads of the characters as best you can, and like actually try to think of the things that you imagine them thinking about from their perspective. Um, so like at some point, it, I you know I, I don't think I ever really feel this way, but I can imagine feeling this way. It's like oh no, come on, stop thinking that. But it's like I think that because I know this about Superman, but like the characters mm-hmm. don't, right? That all they know is what they see when he shows up to stop a bank robbery, and then he's gone. Like it's like. It, it's uh it's really fun i had a great time with it it's 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 a very different kind of story i think you'll have fun and i don't know much what else to lead up to with it i was going to do some like final reflections on we want more as we went through that but i can't really think of anything so i mean i can but it i feel like i wanted this to be just a That's short what i'm wondering because we might like keep like i was already like you know going back and comparing things to which to uh hpmor because it makes sense as you know a it's like my first and only rationalist fiction exposure um but then i'm wondering like oh do we need to make sure we don't spoil hpmor and the things we might compare this to i don't think so i'm gonna just yeah that's a good point as so this is the announcement episode for the super the metropolitan man uh sequence we're gonna do here Full spoilers for Methods of Rationality. <laughs> Full spoilers for HPMOR. You weren't yeah. expecting that one necessarily. But the, the, yeah, that, the thing that was running through my head was like, oh, I wonder like how this is similar. To compare and contrast uh, how uh, Lex Luthor and Quirrell would be. Like, how did that, especially like, you know, how much, <laughs> how much do we try to sympathize with psychopathic behavior? So, I mean... Well, we, we can spend it. Well, I was going to say we can spend a minute spitballing on that, but I don't think we need to. Like, because I... Cause I, I I think this isn't a spoiler. I think Lex is much clear cut a psychopath than, uh, mm-hmm. than Quirrell. I, I think that, you know, without putting all my, my cards on the table, I don't think Lex is a psychopath whatsoever. Um, I, I think that at, at best he is uh, like not being fully honest with himself hundred percent of the time about all of his motivations. 
But I think that what he's doing makes sense for like any conscientious person um, who who has a certain like number of requisite thoughts. But he's not a a broken half person like Voldemort. Yeah. Um, he, he's a a fully fledged relatable human. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll leave that there, and we'll 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 talk about we want more and stuff too going through because I had some final thoughts about the show. I was thinking over the last couple of weeks, and uh, I guess it was. I'm going to leave it all aside for now. So for now, I will just say that we'll be back in a week to discuss the first two chapters of Metropolitan Man. And this is a 13 chapter short story. I don't anticipate that this will take us longer than tops three months. I'm thinking probably closer to like eight or nine weeks. Um, So it'll, it'll go pretty fast, but it's a short story. That's what we get. Also, I don't think I got a chance to boast about this on the air. I called it when we were planning out like our first time we got together for dinner to talk about doing the Method Rationality podcast. I said probably about 50 something, you know, 50, 55 episodes. And I think we were within two of that. I forget how many we actually hit, but. Yeah, I think, yeah, we kept saying uh, it'll be on the tape. But uh, I think, yeah, even from the first uh, like 10 episodes, we were saying like, oh, yeah, this will probably go out to like December 2020. Nice. Okay. I, if I said that on the air, then I get to have at least. Credit. No, I'm taking credit for that. I think you counted the episodes, and I was like, and then I was capable of, you know, counting weeks <laughs> from episodes between the two of us. We we got it done. Um, all right. Well, that's it for for me with my Metropolitan Man notes. I mean, uh, like like I said, there there as far as I know from my Superman stuff, there isn't really a big divergence from typical lore. Um, so. You know, just go forth and have fun. I think I thought this was a great story, and I'm looking forward to uh, diving into it. And I'm going to just drag it out. See you back in a couple weeks for, or excuse me, see you back here in a week for the first couple of chapters of Metropolitan Man. Bye, everybody.